This is a 980 CKNW podcast. I can't believe we are on the other side of summer looking ahead to fall. Oh, no. Good evening. I'm Maureen McGrath. This is the Sunday Night Health Show, a show that is all about health. It's been said your health is your wealth and leads to a longer, happier life and even better relationships. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, and yes, 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 even sexual. That's the cue to put the kitties to bed because listener discretion is advised as we always uncover what lies beneath the covers or not. Listener discretion is advised, as I said already. A word to the wise is sufficient. I have a passion for evidence-based health information to guide you so that the life you lead is the best it can be. And my aim here on this program is to provide you with up-to-date health information so that you know there are options for treatment. Please do, however, consult with your medical doctor for anything that ails you. Tonight on the program, sugar, we are going to be examining sugar's effect on the human body. Also, here's a little hint. I love to love you, baby, when you're laying so close to me. That's the place that I want to be is with you. I love that line. Anyway, (laughs) we're talking about the new study that is out from Seeking.com, a dating site, and the results about cheating and men might surprise you. They actually interviewed 8,000 men, or they had surveyed 8,000 men. Also, here's another hint. I am woman, hear me roar. When wives earn more than their husbands, what do you think the reaction is? How do you think they behave around that? Anyway, the, definitely the results of that might not surprise you. Also, Stacy Piercy joins me. She shares her beautiful story about female empowerment and her transgender journey. And she has some advice for parents who might be facing that with their children. And do you found, find, do you find, okay, obviously I'm not one of these, <laughs> uh, and the, or the target of one, uh, somebody who's looking for this, uh, do you find intelligent uh, intelligence? <laughs> I am really messing this one up. Let's start again. Okay, everybody. Pitch pipe. Do you find intelligence arousing? I'd like to be the woman my dog thinks I am. Actually, I can't remember the, uh, the tune to that. But nonetheless, uh, you know what? A lot of people do. And it's interesting because that, that, that intelligence can trump a lot of other things. Uh, so um, if you do, you know, you might want to stay tuned right here to this program because we are talking about that and other things. But right now, I want to talk about some of the truths about life. You know, I see a lot of patients in my clinical practice, a lot of people in my clinical practice. And, you know, sometimes there's things that they just don't realize. And and one of those brutal truths that every single person needs to remember, needs to be mindful of, aside from just living in the moment, that's so helpful. I'll be living in the moment. Another great line from a great song. Um, at making it last. So you got to make the moment last. And the thing is, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is all you got. This is your life. And you know what? No guarantees as to how long you're going to be here. So why not make it the best it can be? I'm trying to help you do that, okay? <laughs> also, everyone you love has the same fate as you have. So 
you know what, why not try and resolve conflict that you may have in relationships? So, you know, the truth about these two things, it may be sad at first, but it also gives you permission to make amends with past difficulties that you've had with people, reestablish meaningful relationships, let go of the small stuff because it doesn't matter and it's all small stuff. Speaking of small stuff, money is small stuff. When you think about it, you need a certain amount to, you know, for happiness, uh, whatever that is. Um, but your material wealth will not make you a better or happier person. Even if you are one that achieves your materialistic dreams, money only amplifies that which was already present. And you know what? Honestly, it's your happiness is within. And if you can be just as happy, you know, swimming in the ocean or going for a bike ride in that moment as you are, you know, at a five-star resort uh, somewhere else or when you are facing difficulties in life, um, you know, it's it's really tapping into that vulnerability is, is actually what makes you happy and, you know, lack, lacking shame. So not really... Um, living secrets and having shame because that leads to that unhappiness. And there's no amount of money in the world that can actually help you with your health sometimes uh, for many people. And that's a sad reality for a lot of people. So what do you want to do with your time after you've created all of this material wealth? You know what? Donating money does less than donating time. A lot of you cheapskates out there probably feel good about that. Um, The other thing that's really important, too, because we have a lot of people pleasers in the room, (laughs) guilty as charged. (laughs) And I I like to do this. I like everybody happy. (laughs) But you can't make everyone happy. And I had to learn the hard way uh, that way. And uh, but if you try, you lose yourself. And that's exactly what happened to me at one point in my life. So, you know what? I have to remind myself, um, you know, to uh, stop trying to please Start respecting your values, your principles, your autonomy, and, you know, learn to say no. That is one of the greatest words in the dictionary. Uh, the other thing is you can never be perfect. Nobody is perfect. You might try to give that perception off to the world that everything in your life is perfect. In fact, recently somebody said that to me. She was struggling a lot with a number of issues, and she said, my life is just a mess, and everyone else is perfect. And I'm like, no one's life is perfect. And she said, yours is. <laughs> I said, mine is far from perfect. I just don't share my issues with you uh, because, you know, of, you know, where we uh, work together. (laughs) So I'm not going to be sharing my issues. I'm going to be sharing my issues with uh, a confidant or somebody that I am comfortable with. We all have issues at different times. You know, many times people say life is short, but you know what? Life is long and there are ups and downs and you can have issues. And then other times it can be calm and, and, you know, normal, if you will. And and that's nice. But you know what? You always have to be in good shape physically and emotionally and mentally in order to deal with those problems because life can change in a second. And I see that repeatedly in the work that I do uh, because a lot of the work that I do is around health. Also, your thoughts are less important than your feelings, and your feelings need acknowledgement. I'm talking to you guys, okay? Because intellectually thinking through your problems isn't as helpful as expressing the feelings that create your difficulties in the first place. And I know you guys have been socialized to keep those feelings in, solve problems. You want a solution right away. I know. I work with men. I live with men. I'm I'm involved with men. (laughs) I know how you act. You want to just solve the problem immediately. And, And you know what? Sometimes you don't even listen to what the problem is, but you've come up with a solution. So you know what? You're feelings are so important and practice at it. 
just take it slow, you know, nothing wrong with that. Just practice sharing one feeling, get comfortable around it. Uh, you know, have a mantra around that. Um, you know, I'm curious why, um, or, you know, I've been feeling this way. So your feelings need acknowledgement. Also actions speak louder than words. So you need to hold yourself accountable. And, and oftentimes I see patients in my clinical practice and they literally follow, they say, yes, yes, I'm going to stop smoking. Yes, yes, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start exercising. But they come in for accountability. So you know what? In talking about accountability, whatever talent you have means nothing without your consistent effort and practice. Those who are successful practice. They, they, are, they stick to it. They are consistent. They are hard at it. They work before they play. There's, you know, you look at successful people versus the unsuccessful people or the people who've had challenges. And for the most part, you know what? They live a pretty healthy life. Uh, they don't abuse substances. They uh, get their sleep. They eat properly. They resolve their conflicts. They remain calm. That's a very important aspect of this. So, so we're going to be talking a little bit more about some of these issues and how it is that you can have the most peaceful, calm, and satisfying life. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I want to talk about marriage because I talk about it a lot uh, because I see a lot of patients who are married and, and struggling and oftentimes if they're not struggling with sex, they're struggling with finances. But it may surprise you to learn about a struggle about finances when you have more money than you otherwise would, that can also cause a problem if that makes any sense. And many couples today need two incomes to survive, to purchase a home or maybe even a second home or to realize some of their dreams or or perhaps one person's job isn't that steady or the other person doesn't like their job or for whatever reason. But but this might actually uh, surprise you or, or maybe not. Traditionally, the man in the relationship is the provider and he earns most of the money. But oftentimes and, and more often than, well, it's on, it's on the rise for sure, women are actually earning more money than their male husbands. And so what happens to marriage and partnered relationships when women earn more money than men? And can this lead to divorce? The answer might surprise you. So you would think that it doesn't matter who's earning the money, just bring it on, baby, and um, I'll spend it. But that's not the case. So in a 2013 University of Chicago Booth School of Business study, they looked at 4,000 U.S. married couples who responded to the National Survey of Families and Households, and it found that when the wife was the higher earner, the chances that the couple would report being in a happy marriage fell by six percentage points. This really uh, strikes at a man's manhood, shall we say? Uh, So a lot of men are not happy with the fact that their wives are earning more. And if other people know about it or assume it, then they can be even that much less happy. Now, uh, just so you have a little background, 29% of married women earn more than their husbands. This was uh, this is U.S. research, but we can assume that it's it's very close here in Canada. You know, did did you ever read the book, The Stepford Wives? Uh, it's a 
it's about men who have replaced their successful wives, basically, with automatons, robots. Uh, so they want them to be perfect housekeepers and um, and serve all the men's whims. They preferred this to a successful woman. It turns out a lot of guys prefer that to a successful woman because, you know, men traditionally and, and socially uh, have been deemed the providers, the hunter-gatherers. This is evolutionary. So they've been the hunter-gatherers, and and so they are to provide for their family. And they, you know, supposedly, according to society, but what if they can't provide for their family? What if it's temporary? Uh, when a man loses a job, it is a massive strike. It is much easier for a woman to lose a job because she deals with it very differently. She... She doesn't necessarily have quite the ego associated with the job loss, and she'll get down to it. We saw that in the 2008 recession in the U.S. A lot of men hit the couch, grabbed a beer. But women got out there because there are, there are a lot of service industry jobs, and, and for the most part, women are nurses or teachers, and so they go into lower-paying jobs. Men have a tendency to go into uh, computer engineering jobs and some of the higher-paying jobs. So... Uh, you know, a lot of men have it have a hard time actually kind of, you know, bring it, bringing it down to a, another level because there is their ego at play because so much is uh, is tied to their jobs. Now, let's let's not forget, too, that uh, the women can be horrible to other moms, to working moms. OK, there's always going to be that little fight, the stay at home mom versus the working mom. And, uh, you know, it's. Some of the mothers are, you know, feel that they need to be in the home all the time. Um, you know, don't realize that it might be beneficial to hire somebody to clean the house while you go out and work while the kids are at school. Um, you know, there, there are different options. And you know what? The same doesn't work for everybody. So it's really about choice. And we absolutely need to support women uh, in their choices, whether they decide to work outside of the home or uh, work inside of the home. And I always ask that, that question when I'm asking about somebody's employment. I phrase it this way, obviously, because I learned and I've, I've made a mistake in the past. And I said, I always say, do you work outside of the home? Because every single woman works inside of the home. Now, when men aren't working, they do pick up on, um, you know, more of the child care and more of the household duties. But more interesting than that, because they really don't pick up that much. Um, sorry, guys. But uh, they're they're views, their social views change. And so they may become more liberal or more conservative on, on issues like abortion and, and immigration. So it's interesting, according to research, that some of their views will change by spending more time in the home. Um, but there was a recent study that I thought was interesting that, um, you know, are, are we placating men? Are we mollycoddling them? Is that what, what's going on? Is that what is going on in society? Because a lot of men are having a lot of trouble out there. More car accidents are by men. The more men are in prison. I, I work in the federal correction system, and it's 95% men, dare I say. Um, so more have substance use disorder. And, and I know that's tied to how we socialize men. Uh, so on the one hand, yes, they're making more money in part. They make about 4% more money when everything is even, when the, the playing field is even in terms of education and experience. And, um, uh, you know, so all of that, if that's all level, it's 4% more for men. But the pro the thing is, is that men 
are, or maybe they're groomed, maybe they choose, maybe their brains are hardwired differently, but they choose different careers. They choose higher paying careers. But you know, if men, men are certainly at risk of losing a job and, and when they do, it's extremely detrimental. It is, it really, uh, it's, it's really, um, you know, hard on a man to, to lose his job. And, and for a lot of men whose wives, wives earn more, instead of appreciating that, they have a hard time with it because they feel less than, and they have to feel that they need to show this bravado to the world. But a study shows that when a wife out earns her husband, she downplays her income while he exaggerates his. So the number of married women earning more money than their husbands has grown and will continue to grow as more women enter university and, and keep going for it and rise higher and higher in their careers. But a new study found that many spouses would prefer to keep that fact on the down low. Researchers analyzed Census Bureau data and discovered that in heterosexual marriages where the wife outearns her husband, both spouses misreport in census surveys how much they actually make. This is interesting. And in both uh both spouses tend to exaggerate the husband's income while they deflate the wife's earnings. Hello. <laughs> of course they do. And so this study was co-authored by Marta Murray-Close and Misty Hedgenis. They found that husbands who earn less than their wives reported their income to be 2.9% higher than what was on their tax returns. And women... Uh, they well, they also downplayed the wife's salary. So while both spouses downplayed the wife's salary in census surveys, reporting her income to be 1.5% lower than what she actually earned, they found husbands tended to underestimate their wife's income more than she did. So guys are having a problem with this. They are definitely having a problem with wives earning more. And of the couples that the authors analyzed, 25% were in marriages where the wife was the primary breadwinner. And, you know, there's a number of reasons why this happens. Survey researchers have long known that people's desires to present themselves in a positive light may lead them to understate socially undesirable behaviors and overstate socially desirable ones. We expect men to live more, to earn more. I say appreciate whatever you got. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for being with me this evening. If you know me at all, you know that I believe it is important that we all express our sexuality in whatever way that is. Stacey Piercy joins me because she has had a journey in her life that has likely brought her some ups and downs and and uh, some different reactions and conversation and and dialogue and opinion, um, but she's a wonderful person, and she joins me to talk about her journey with expressing expressing her sexuality. Thank you so much for joining me, Stacy. Oh, thank you, Maureen, for the lovely introduction. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, so, Stacy, uh, you weren't... Uh, Stacy is a name that you chose a little bit uh, later, uh, in your life, so not um, you. You formerly were known as Jamie, and in fact tried to keep that name, but that proved to be a challenge. Um, yes, we're talking about expressing our sexuality, and what you were assigned at birth, if you will, it didn't actually quite feel right or fit. Can you tell me a little bit about that when you were a child? 
You know what? As a child, um, I didn't have an issue. Um, it was when puberty happened. Oh. For the most part, um, yeah. It, you know, I, I just knew I was different, and I didn't know what was different about me. Um, I, I still had a normal, normal life. Um, I was involved in uh, sports, uh, social activities, even glee club and choir and Boy Scouts, you name it. But uh, very active, normal kid. But there uh, was something I just knew. I had girlfriends as well. Uh, played hockey, uh, soccer, baseball. But uh, for some reason, I just knew I was different. So once the hormone surge, we can we can assume occurred with puberty. Yeah. Things started to change for you. Was that in your in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit? Um, you know what? One of the things that uh, I noticed that I didn't find myself as attractive. Uh, it was, um, I guess, um, there was something about me, and I noticed that my relationships with the opposite sex, um, with my girlfriends, I was uh, friends. You know, I was close. I chatted lots. Uh, it wasn't like everyone else. And uh, it was more know, platonic. Was, yeah, yeah. And I knew I wasn't attracted to guys at the time, uh, so it, it was a, a strange time for me. I, I was in a very small town in Newfoundland, and uh, uh, you know, life was good, but uh, there was something inside of me I just didn't understand at that point why I was different. And I knew about other issues as well. And who did you go to to talk about this? Or did you go to somebody? Or did you did this sit inside of you uncomfortably for a time? Uh, I think it was something that was just there. It wasn't a prevalent part of my life. It was just um, a, a, a section of it, uh, you know, um, just a part of, a small part of me. I, I had so many things going on. Um, and you it, know, I was in university. I was in university. I'd done psychology courses. I knew about transgender, LBGT issues, um, you know, but still, uh, I didn't know uh, what my problem was. And when did it strike you if um, that you may not be expressing who you are to the world? Um, I think for me, I, I was just, I, I was one of those people who were always involved in technology. So I've been online with computers since I was a kid. I remember having the old rotary telephone you pick up and you call your neighbors and friends. Uh, when the internet, I had my own first apartment, and uh, I started researching, and there were certain things that I seen that kind of made sense to me, but I still was in that field of the LBGTQ community, but I didn't know exactly what was me, and I wasn't really ready yet to accept one of those. And, uh, and fast forward I, a bit, how, yeah, yeah. Uh, at what point were you ready? Did you realize, okay... This is this is who I am. This is what I need to do. Oh, I, I had my major crash and crisis uh, at a certain point in my life. I was working in Toronto with an advertising company on Bay Street, and I was going to the subway. And on my way to the subway station, I seen this girl, and I noticed her at the side of the corner of my eye, and I was walking towards her as she was there by the subway station, and I was attracted to her. I couldn't explain it. It was one of those things that just happened. It was one of those moments in your life. And as we got closer, and as we got closer... I knew I was going to talk to this person, and when I saw them, they were transgender. Uh, it was a friend of mine who is now a friend of mine who was running for mayor, and I got it. It wasn't everything I knew about transgender. She was legitimate. She was attractive. She was political, and I was jealous. That was the feeling that hit me. I was jealous, and I had my crisis. I went to my doctors, and my world changed. I knew right then and there 
what my problem was. I was transgender, and uh, I didn't know how to do it, but I knew I wanted to pass and have a normal life as a, as a woman. And at that time, the most resources were not there to make that happen. Right, and so, so you that wanted was to be... 1999 for me. That was 1999? That was 1999. Okay. When I knew 100%. Yeah. And you never ask a woman her age, but um, <laughs> so I won't ask you how old you are. Golden yeah. rule. Uh, yeah. So it's been about 20 years for you, um, at which yeah. point you transitioned. So it sounds as though you um, wanted to be that woman. Uh, I don't know if I wanted to be that woman. I think it was she proved to me that you can transition and pass and have a normal life. Okay. You know, I, the experience I had with transgender people before is that they were different. They weren't a part of normal society. They were uh, in, um, you know, it was the sex industry. It was on Jerry Springer. Right. Uh, it was never just a normal person just living a normal life. And do you feel and, like, a, have you always felt like a normal person living a normal life since you transitioned or you, have you faced troubles and what troubles have they been? Um, you know what? I was married for 20 years. Um, I've done quite well for myself. I had a completely normal life uh, for, for the most part, you know. I, uh, I had my uh, trials and tribulations. Um, but uh, Did people accept you when you transitioned? Oh, here's the thing. I left Toronto and moved to a small town in Alberta where no one knew who I was. Ah. And I, I, I kind of had that habit in my life. When people got to know me, I kind of moved to a different town or, or escape or whatever. Uh, I don't let people get too close to me. I, I'm very guarded from my friends. But, uh, you know, I just, yeah, I, I, I've had troubles uh, in the sense online of being political. But, um, and within the LBG community, that politics is really tough. Like, that's advanced. Everyone's an advocate. It's really good politics. But, uh, right, but you have people, you have good friends and people who love you? Uh, yeah, you know, I've, 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 I've had great supports in my life. I guess that's what uh, makes things different for me, you know. Uh, my problem is when I uh, had to legally transition, I ran into some bureaucratic issues. I ran into some legal issues. Uh, we had to create a path that wasn't there. Right, exactly. Uh, what and could... that's when I... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. For a, a family who is facing this, whose child uh, may be uh, feeling they're not expressing their sexuality appropriately, what, what advice would you give? Uh, you know what? I, I realized a long time ago, I have a spiritual side. I'm, I'm actually Salvation Army, and I'm very, I go to church regularly. Uh, don't, don't hold uh, secrets in. Yeah. Uh, just love and support these these kids. Let them be themselves, whatever that is. Don't conform them into a, an image of a male, image of a female. We now have gender identity expression laws in this country for human rights purposes. Let these people just discover who they are, be themselves. It's okay now. There's nothing to fear. Uh, you know, this world is good. Uh, when I walk around my neighborhood, everyone is so nice to me. It's always been the case. It's how I got into politics. Everyone comes to me and talks to me, and I'm oh. just a friendly, friendly person kind of thing. Uh, there's nothing to fear. The biggest struggle is their own struggle, uh, the perception they have, how people are going to treat them. But that isn't real. Oh, so uh, just let them be themselves, and the world will take care of them. And, you know, there's lots of support to you now these days. 
There certainly are lots of supports, and um, yeah. it, it's it's challenging for people still. Um, it can be for many. It can be heartbreaking, but as you say, you make an excellent point in terms of this the secrecy because it's what's it's secrecy is what yes. leads to shame, and shame yes. is the toxicity, and that yes. leads to issues around substance use and abuse or. or Yes. Uh, other types of addiction, food addiction, porn addiction, suicide, suicide death by yeah. suicide. Absolutely. So yeah. if we can, you know, be vulnerable, be kind, be empathic to other people, I think we'd even have a much better world. Stacey Piercy, thank you so much for joining me tonight on the Sunday Night Health Show and sharing your beautiful story. And I'm so happy that you're living such a great life. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. You and I, we're in a relationship together. It's a radio relationship. Nonetheless, it's a relationship. And so therefore, we don't want to criticize one another. We don't want to become defensive. We don't want to have contempt for each other. And we certainly do not want to engage in stonewalling. These are the four horsemen of the apocalypse for relationships, according to relationship expert Dr. John Gottman. And unless you fix these, these negative cycles may drive you and your partner apart. So criticism is when you blame the whole person. You fault your partner's character. You're just nothing but a loser kind of a thing. Defensiveness is when you refuse to be accountable. It can drive people crazy when somebody will not take accountability for their actions. You turn the tables and you fault your partner on everything. Contempt is name-calling. It's vicious. It's being sarcastic or mocking or making jokes that actually have a put-down within them. And then there's stonewalling, which means you, ha- you are disengaging. You are shutting down. You're withdrawing. You're retreating. And all of these can be a toxic pattern for your relationship. Defenses naturally go up in reaction to criticism. That is the first thing that happens. You know, I like to think of if you respectfully provide feedback to somebody, feedback is a gift. And if you can look at that, take 10 deep breaths and realize that it's not or that that it's being delivered, hopefully being delivered uh, in a way that is constructive, that may actually change things um, in your relationship. So it may change things for the better. But defensiveness is a part of the sequence that gets couples into a lot of trouble. So, you know, defensiveness is dangerous. And dealing with defensiveness means that both of you look at your role in your conflict. How do you seem to each other? And so I always like to recommend or suggest that people become curious. And so instead of saying, you didn't take the recycling out again last night, typical, you know, you might try something like, I'm curious why you didn't get around to the recycling. You can see somebody is much less defensive. And so that's a little strategy of mine. However, um, you know, there are a number of other tips to deal with a defensive partner. When I say that's a little strategy of mine, curiosity is the strategy that I utilize in 
every single relationship that I have, whether it be somebody that I'm in a relationship with or that I'm working with or, um, you know, just, you know, we have so many relationships. But the most important relationship is, of course, your intimate relationship or the relationship you have with yourself. That's even more important. But if you have a defensive partner, it can actually uh, really uh, bring the relationship down and really have a negative Impact and, and the defensive reaction is natural when you feel threatened. And so we all want to be perfect. We all want to be good. We don't want to have our weaknesses called out, but it happens. And it happens to every couple that fights. And you know what? Couples that fight are actually healthy couples. Uh, so these couples that will say, oh, we never fight. It's like, how boring is that? Of course you have to fight. It's healthy. It's good. But fight healthily. That's what's important. You can rise above these negative patterns. And so here are some suggestions from uh, Dr. John Gottman and others to help you to work through this when your partner wants to say something to you that that they're upset about or they're disappointed about. It's not about you. It's about your behavior. So first you want to release that tension in your body because you pick up visual cues. You know, some people say she gave me that look again, or I knew he was angry. Um, And so we pick up those cues about each other before anyone even speaks. And sometimes you don't get those cues correct. So, you know, release that tension in your body, take 10 deep breaths, you know, is this the end of the world kind of a thing? And send safe signals to your partner before you start talking. Or, and by the same token, send safe signals before as you listen as well, because listening is critical in a relationship, especially in an intimate relationship, because you might be, they might be saying one thing and you're hearing something altogether different because your vestibular, vestibular system is on fire. So slow your breathing down, take 10 deep breaths in your nose, out your mouth, slow, soften your muscles. And you also want to take, find a place where you can talk face to face and, you know, outside of the bedroom, may I suggest, this is one of the only times I suggest you leave the bedroom. I'm kidding, of course. Um, But you want to find a place where you can talk to each other. You know, is it over dinner? in a restaurant, then you have to behave, right? Um, Because your eyes are extremely powerful in regulating each other's nervous system. So you want to look at each other and look kindly at your partner. Offer gentle eye contact. I know you might be enraged because the recycling never went out or the dishwasher is still full and dishes are piling up in that giant sink you put in in your renovation. Um, But you know what? You need to start speaking gently with each other. Remain calm. Use your softest voice. If you can, you want your partner to feel safe speaking with you. And if you want him or her or they to be receptive, open with something positive and non-threatening, such as, I know you didn't do this on purpose. I know that recycling or whatever, the dishwasher isn't your favorite household chore. Um, I know that, you know, racking up the credit card bills by $10,000 this month was not your intention. Um, However, uh, this has hurt me and it's bothering me. And I want to tell you about it so that we can deal with it and put it behind us. So you want to have mantras. And and that's a declaration of a friendly intention. So be clear that you are being kind and concerned and and that you're not placing blame on somebody. There's all, also this thing that comes into arguments with couples. And I hear it so often in my clinical practice. And they're like, well, she's so perfect. Or, you know, he thinks he's so perfect. He thinks he's right all the time. Or 
He always has the solution. And, you know, there are certain ways that men and women have been socialized. And, yes, they're going to bring that to a relationship. But you can also have, uh, you know, maybe if you've been apart for a while. I had somebody email me and he asked me if after 10 years uh, people can get back to the bedroom. And, and of course, I work with couples like that all the time. And, and so, but it, he might be like nine years too late to say something like, I'm wondering what's happening between us right now. So if you're not as intimate with your partner as you have been, you know, that might be the mantra. That might be the word. Those might be the words that you want to use. And, you know, just say, I want to work this out because I want us to be good together. I want us to move forward and reach some of our dreams and our goals. And you want to stop when anger has triggered either person's self-defense system. So you can't reason with anybody who is emotional. And a lot of guys say that about women. They're, they say, you know, oh, she gets so emotional. But there are guys who get emotional too. And, and that can be a flashpoint um, that is more intense for men than for women. But, you know, some men also can go to anger. They can quick to anger very rapidly. Uh, any, any, um, anything that they feel is uh, criticism it may trigger uh, this angry, you know, person. Also, if somebody is hungry, you know, that will also, may also trigger somebody's anger. In general, men are biologically wired to become fight ready instantly in response to that danger. So, you know, I often say, you know, just do it. But, you know, what, this is one time I say, don't do it. When you are dealing with an angry spouse or somebody who's abusive or you haven't resolved your conflicts in the relationship. So when one is no longer thinking and in that hot, fiery zone and not the good, hot, fiery zone, time to take a break. And so you might say, you know what, let's let's shelve this. Let's talk about this later. Let's take a break. We're starting to lose it. I don't want to yell at you. Uh, I think I'd like to take a walk or, uh, you know, I get the feeling we're not listening to each other right now. So you want to be gentle. Try to understand what sets off that defensive reaction as well. So you may feel defensiveness or stonewalling begin when either of you have a strong reaction to something. Politics, for example, that might, you know, tip somebody off or or you're looking mad right now. I didn't mean to make you upset. Was it something that I said? And if you're triggered, you got to wait at least 20 minutes. It's important to allow your body to become calm again. And that takes at least 20 minutes for your nervous system to settle down. You want your mind and your heart working together instead of being at odds. And so if it's getting intense, just say, you know what, this is getting intense, not in the good way. And maybe we need to take a little break for right now. And so I'd like to do that. But you know what, it's great to have a cheat sheet of of, um, phrases that are good and healthy and caring. I'm Maureen McGrath. And you're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.